How do you go from 14 days and you'll, you won't be here to saving yourself? This, this is a great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's making me think. Well, I, I went through three months of chemo. I went through one month of radiation therapy. Then I went through 10 more months of chemotherapy. And every time I was in the hospital for a chemotherapy treatment, uh, my cycle would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the hospital. I'd be released to have my blood cell count get higher. And then I'd go back in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That would be one cycle. And every time I was in the hospital, the doctors actually put me in a medically induced coma. And to be honest with you, aside from that one month of radiation therapy where I was lucid, I don't remember being 16 years old. So it's it's difficult to look back at it and see what what the actual factors were. You know, say C is, is survival. I don't, I don't know what A plus B actually put together I don't know what those factors were to help me get to see, but I'm sure it was, like I said earlier, my, my family support, my, my friends, um, modern medicine, prayer, and just that inner will to never give up. I think it's a, the dog inside of me that was really fighting for my life. Knowing when to break through the boundaries of average to question the unquestionable is the sign of greatness. It's those moments when you get to the absurd stage that things truly get interesting. Though the world is in need of a new generation of leaders, leaders who have the courage to break through the boundaries and question everything around them. Well, society is yearning for bold and enthusiastic women and men to provide the necessary leadership that will be required for the next leap forward. The journey to get to the brink can be unpredictable, but knowing you're at the brink, pure genius, my friends. Today, we are on the brink of greatness. So what's special about this, Kevin, and you know full well, because you and I have talked about this gentleman. First of all, his name is Sean Swarner. I wrote initially about Sean, like I've been writing about these brink of greatness stories for a few years now, before we started this show, Kevin, as you know, right? Yep, exactly. And Sean was one of the earlier ones I had written about back October 26, 2016. I had written about his, uh, what I thought his journey, and I, I actually uh, had a post up on the early, you know, one of the first ones on the brink of greatness, and it's called Sean Swarner Goes from Cancer to Seven Summits. It was a very inspirational story, and somebody I thought, wow, this is a, a really unique guy, and it, it, people should know about this. People should know what he's doing and what he's been through, and uh, it's amazing. So when we started talking about it, this is the first time we've actually gone back in time to get one of the early Brink thinkers to come on and showcase, huh, Kevin? That's, that's the reason. All of a sudden, I started reading through a lot of the stories you had posted, mm -hmm. and I read Sean's. I thought, absolutely. So luckily, I reached out, and Sean responded. And so that's why he's on the show. He's just got a great story and great inspiration, and he yeah. honestly believes that if you think you can do it, you can. Well, that's where it starts right there, and it really comes to a mindset. I tell you folks all the time out there, it is about a mindset. It really is mind-controlled. What we tell ourselves we can or cannot do is absolutely true, in fact. This is why people do unbelievable things from time to time. You say, well, wow, did they really do that? Yeah, they really did that. So, Sean Swarner, welcome to the brink of greatness, sir. I, I, I really appreciate it, and I don't even... 
I'm a I'm a professional keynote speaker for a living, and I don't even know how what to say after that intro. I, I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. Oh, that's great. That's cool, man. So yeah, no, I know you. I'd love to see you speak one time as well. But I know you've got a lot of different things I want to dive into. But here's the thing. Let's bring it back to when you were just really a teenager, young guy. Uh, you'll tell us that in a moment here. But when you first, I mean, you had. You were diagnosed with cancer not once, but twice, and not just casual cancer. This was cancer that was going to take you out. It was cancer that you were told you had days left to live. And as a young boy, we see the pictures and what had happened, and it's an unbelievable moment. So where the brink starts is at that impossible moment all the way back. Can you bring us back to the very first time, please? Oh, oh for sure. And, and you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek, you said that, I was diagnosed with two terminal cancers. Apparently, I'm an overachiever. Um, I, I, I like I like challenges for some reason. You are. Uh, so let's 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 go back to you know when I was 13 years old in in uh, 1988, okay. and I, I was just the same as as all my friends. You know, we were we were running around the the city, I guess the town at that point, because my, I grew up in a small town in Willard, Ohio, uh, population 5,000. So I was just your, your typical Midwest boy, uh, chasing girls, collecting baseball cards, having a great time with my life. And one day I was playing basketball right after lunch at school as an eighth grader. And I remember coming down and, and something like this audible snap happened to my knee. And it's almost like uh, you know, you're you're eating Thanksgiving dinner and you're ripping away the uh, the tendons and ligaments and muscle from the the knee, and that's that's kind of what it sounded like. I mean, it's it's kind of disgusting to describe, but that's that's what it sounded like. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, I'm being treated for pneumonia. And unfortunately, you know, fast forward a little bit, I was diagnosed with advanced stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma, and as a 13 year old, I was given three months to live. So. I, you know, I wasn't getting any better, obviously, initially when I was diagnosed as, as having um, uh, pneumonia because you can't cure or you can't you can't cure cancer by sucking on a, on a nebulizer. Yeah. So they started chemotherapy and I gained 60, 70 pounds, you know, and, and I remember uh, one one day I was just sitting on the edge of my bed. And you know how sometimes you lift your feet up to use that momentum, you know, the counterbalance, the counterweight to pull yourself up out of bed. I, I did that. And right. as I was doing that, I remember looking off to my left side and seeing where my pillow was. It was just now covered in hair. And I, I ran to the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and think, and kept thinking to myself, maybe I can comb it over. Maybe I can do something to, to help it from falling out. But I, I knew it was inevitable. You know, my hair was falling out at that point. And I got into the shower and, and it was just this odd feeling that, the water wasn't hitting my hair anymore. It was just hitting my scalp. And here I am, you know, 13 years old. I'm, I'm collapsed on the bottom of the shower floor thinking of what my friends are doing that morning, getting ready for school. And the, the perspective that they had, because mine was, mine was changing, they were worried about the coolest shoes. And I, th I think at that point it was like the Reebok, the pump or something like that. Right. And I was back on, on the sh bottom of the shower floor pulling chunks of hair out of the drain, crying my eyeballs out. Right. You know, and, and right then was a moment for me when I realized, you know, life is different mm -hmm. and life is very fragile and precious. And it isn't about uh, being concerned uh, about being popular. It's not about the nicest hairstyles. It's not about the nicest clothes. It's about being true to yourself and really waking up and living every day as though it's your last. I remember reading what you just explained there, uh, Sean, and I remember reading this in your story, the, the shower scene is really what it is with the hair coming out, a young kid, 13. And it, 
I, I want to just comment a moment about that because everything in life is perspective. When you just said something that I say all the time, and I, I so appreciate what you just said about life being so fragile and being aware of that. And I, there's something about that. I just want people to understand that, that I, one of the things my famous line probably I say all the time, Sean, is life is a gift. And there are far too many people who don't see it that way. And they don't realize the, the gift that we all have to be here and to really be performing at this level. We take it for granted. Like the other kids, naturally, they wouldn't know any different at 13, 14, 15. Back to them worrying about the shoes they wear and what have you because they haven't hit that wall yet. They don't really know. But it, that's true. That's real. And what you were experiencing uh, is is real. I mean, but uh, so I, anyways, I really appreciate that. So at that moment when you're there... How, what does a 13-year-old say to themselves? Now, you understand the fragility of it all, but you're not, you're not um, advanced. Your thinking's not advanced as a 13-year-old. You haven't lived yet. You don't have experiences. What, do you remember? What do you say to yourself at that? You, you have to be scared. Oh, oh, for sure. And I, I think you hit it, you know, the, the nail on the head where, you know, someone who's 13, especially, you know, we'll just use myself as, a, as an example since we're talking about me. Uh, when, when I was 13, I, I didn't truly... Understand the ramifications of cancer and, and the the possibility of death, and I don't think I understood what death really meant. You know, I I I knew that I was sick. I knew that I had a couple choices, and I I don't think they were really solidified in my mind how how horrendous they really were. But I knew that I had a one of two choices. It was either fight for my life or give up and die. And I know that I was only 13. I was on the cusp of my, my, my life, the cusp of my teen years. And I knew that I wanted more out of life than just these, these past 12, 13 years, and I didn't want to die. Right. So to me, it really wasn't a choice, but I, I, I saw it as either die or fight. And I chose to, to fight. I chose yeah. to, to, to put one foot in front of the other and not give up. Amen. One foot in front of the other, man. And you, you didn't give up. Sorry. So that you see so had three months they gave you at that point. So between that and I think it was a couple of years later when the second time it hit. So take us forward. What happens next? Oh, I, I, I went into remission. You know, I was, uh, like I said earlier, 60 pounds overweight, bald from head to toe. But, you know, thanks to the a bunch of different things, people try to narrow it down. You know, was it prayer? Was it modern medicine? Was it a, an internal mindset? Honestly, it was, it was like the perfect storm uh, in reverse. So everything came together. It was modern medicine, family support, prayer, and that inner will to 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 move forward. But I, I was in remission for roughly a year. You know, I was I was loving life again. I was back to being a a quote unquote normal teenager where the hormones are kicking in. I was gr- gr- growing hair in unusual places on my body, wondering what was going on with my voice, and finding females very attractive. And I was like, all right, this is this is fantastic. Except one day I was going in for a checkup for the first cancer, and that's when they found a second cancer. Wow. You know, I, earlier I said I was I was apparently an overachiever, uh, but in one day they actually found a tumor on an X-ray the size of a golf ball. They did a needle biopsy where they aspirated part of a tumor. They took out another lymph node. They put in a Hickman catheter, which is like a permanent IV. They cracked open my ribs, took out the tumor, put in a drainage tube, and started chemotherapy in less than 24 hours because the, the type of cancer I was diagnosed with is so it, – it's so horrible, and it's such a rapidly dividing cancer. It's such a rapidly growing disease, that, and it's so rare that three out of a million people get this cancer, and the prognosis is roughly 6%. Oh, my golly. 
and within 24 hours, your life had changed again, Sean. In, in 24 hours, my life was flipped upside down again, and the first thing that went through my mind after mom cut right to the chase talking to the doctor, she asked uh, Dr. Davis, is it cancer again? And the doctor said, yes, you know, he's not going to hide anything like that. And I, I just knew, I went through the first one, I didn't know what was going to happen for the second one, but I knew I was going to lose my friends, I knew I was going to lose my hair, I knew I was going to lose, essentially, my life. But again, I had that choice because I think one of the greatest freedoms we have in life is the freedom of choice. You know, you earlier you alluded to perspective. You can choose any perspective you have, any any perspective you want. Amen. And I looked at it again as an opportunity. You know, an opportunity to 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 grow stronger, an opportunity to you know deepen my faith, an opportunity to uh, make my mind stronger. You, you know, if if you look at people like say Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example, how does he get big? He pushes against extreme amounts of force. The same thing, how you get mentally strong is the same way you get physically strong. So I saw it as me pushing against extreme amounts of force, and it was just making my brain stronger and stronger. And I saw it as an opportunity to push myself. And Sean, this cancer this time had nothing to do with the first one. It was totally separate cancer, correct? Exactly. Two primary cancers, completely unrelated, and I'm the only person to have ever been diagnosed with these two cancers. See, you, you're, you're a freak of nature. You know that. <laughs> I, I definitely am because I only have one functioning lung, and I, only ha and I have a, uh, a genetic defect in my heart where I have two superior vena cavas. And and uh, and just let people focus on that one second. Now, when you hear later on where this story, <laughs> hold on now. When you hear later on where this story goes, people, you're going to like be blown away when you see what Sean has done with his life and where he's at. I mean, it's 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 mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. The fact that you now have the second cancer completely unrelated, I just that was so important because I don't want people to think like, okay, like when your mom said, is this cancer again? Like, is this a recurrent cancer? Is it recurring from, that's what one would think, right? That's what mom probably thought. And exactly. When they, of course, that's natural, man, because that's what happens with cancer survivors. You, you worried about the recurrent factor of that cancer, but that wasn't the case with you. There's entirely other cancer and the chances of this are probably, have you ever played the lottery, by the way, and uh, tried that? <laughs> you know, that that is a fantastic segue because what I was going to say is the chances of me surviving both of these cancers is equivalent to winning the lottery four times in a row with the same numbers. So I, I, I think I've won the life lottery. And when the, uh, what was it, the Powerball or the Mega Millions was up to over a billion dollars, I played. And I, I'll, I'll give you a guess on how many numbers I got. Zero. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, buddy. You won the lottery. It's, I mean, I just exactly. want people to know you won the big lottery, buddy. You know that. You won the lottery of life. Oh, I mean, for sure. That is far better than money. I mean, who needs money with the lottery money? I, I don't even like the lottery. But this lottery that you play, I love. This, this is a great lottery here, yeah? It is. It is. And again, it goes back to perspective. You know, I, I could have come out on the other side of, of the cancer and thought to myself, uh, you know, I, I hate the world and look what I had to go through. But I, I see it as uh, honestly, you know, going through those two cancers was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me. But in that same breath, I'm going to say it's also the best thing that's ever happened to me based on the perspective that I choose to have. Yeah, that is so important what you just say there. I want everybody to grab on to what Sean just said, man. That is so important. See, this would be the worst thing that could ever happen to anybody. Like Sean, like, so you got, okay, you diagnosed with major cancer twice, you're going to die. And the second time, by the way, they gave you how long to live was the second time? 14 days to live. I knew it was days. And I remember how 14 days, buddy. I mean, 14 days. 
So yeah. this, this is a very aggressive cancer we're talking about here. Tr tremendously aggressive. In fact, they, uh, they wanted to put me in hospice, and the hospital wanted me to, to put together a living will. And you know, being a teen, I looked at my mom, and I, I just kind of jokingly said, well, isn't my brother going to get my hand-me-downs anyhow? So <laughs> what's the point? Exactly. Who needs it, right? I mean, whatever. Uh, I, yeah, I just don't know what you do. If you're a kid and you're 16, and they're telling you 14 days from now, you, you, you won't be here. I mean, I couldn't imagine going, you know, what would be going through my mind. Like, even if that happened to, to me today, I'd probably be just stunned. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's two things. Um, you, you'd be amazed at what you can do when you're in a certain situation where you, you have to do something. And then the second one is if you were in that situation, you would find a way to survive. You know, you would find a way out. You would find a way to, to make yourself comfortable because that's, I, I think that's uh, what, what all humans want. You know, they want to be comfortable. They want to be safe. They want to be loved, et cetera, et cetera. But you'd be amazed at what you're capable of doing once you're in a certain situation like that. Well, okay, but you say that now. But now I'm wondering now. Here's where my mind goes, Sean, is that. But I wonder how many people, I mean, I don't know what the percentages are here, but when you say what you say, it's not always that easy. I mean, so what I'm saying is, I wonder how many people would succumb because, you know, suicide's a problem. Other things are a problem. People fail at things sometimes. And that's an important part of this Brink story. It's not guaranteed success is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? You're absolutely right. But here's here's the thing, too. Um, human beings are a representation of our repetition, meaning whatever we do every day represents who we are and, and how our brains think. So I wake, up every, I wake up every morning and tell myself the first thought I have is no matter what happens today, today's the best day ever. How many people out there listening, the first thing they do, uh, they start thinking about the day, oh, I have to do this, I need to do that, I should do this. You know, it, you, you're beginning your day on a negative note. Some pe most people even turn on the news and they're, they're bombarded with negativity. Why wouldn't you start off when you have that choice? Why wouldn't you start off your day on a positive note? Why wouldn't you slowly make those micro changes throughout your day and develop patterns of positivity as opposed to negativity? I wonder, have you ever thought of this, Sean? And I, I don't mean to take from what we're talking, but I, I got to ask you this. It's what about people who sometimes get a disease, who get a cancer, who have a problem and they have the will to live. They really want to live, but it doesn't happen like they're taken out by their disease. I mean, is that inevitably? Is that God's prayer there? Is that just is that just the way it is? Or do you know what I'm saying? Or. I, I know exactly what you're saying because everywhere I go, um, be it on vacation when I give a presentation or on an expedition, I do my best, my best to go visit local hospitals and visit with some cancer patients. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in touch with, with people and, you know, via email and I'll be talking to, say, Johnny from Sydney and, you know, an email back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, probably twice or three times a week. And then all of a sudden there's silence. Right. And in the back of my mind, I'm I'm praying that you know it's it's not what I think it is, but then a couple weeks later, I'll get an I got I actually got an email from his mom, saying that he passed away, but while he was alive, he said that I was his hero and that he wanted to be just like me when he grew up, mm -hmm. and to not be sad that he passed away, but to be happy that he I gave him hope for the time that he was alive. So another another young girl I was visiting. I think she was in uh, South Carolina in a hospital. We were talking about, you know, what you want to be when you grow up. And I asked her, well, what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
and I'm, I'm going to get emotional just talking about it because it, it's such a, a it's such a powerful story. But I asked her, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" She looked at me. She said, "I want to be an angel." In mm. in going back to you know what you said earlier, it it could be God's will. It could be you know so many different things, and it's just one of those. Uh, unknowns that I don't think we'll ever be able to that, understand. That's well said. No, thank you for saying that. The unknown and God's will, because that's kind of where I'm at, Sean. I'm in this mix. I try to understand that and understand God's will they were talking about and sometimes what's inevitable and also our mindsets and our drive. And sometimes you meet people like you're just speaking about these couple of people who impact life in a big way. They have the will. They want to do X, but sometimes the cards don't play out that way. And I write about a lot of those people, and I see their lives. And well, there's a bigger force here, obviously, that's at play, you know, very Right, clear, but, you know. but, but it is important to, to realize that life is just a short journey, mm -hmm. right? I, I believe that there's the eternities. There's life after death. And everything that you do in this life actually comes with you. So your personality, your thoughts, your beliefs, your drive. So those folks who have passed away, that, I mean, they're still around as a spirit, you know. And so they, there is a, a life that they haven't finished, and, and this life is so short. But the life to come is forever, so... He was at the question everything stage for sure, and I'm sure, Sean, you would agree to that. You would question in how come, why me as a kid. I mean, I'm sure you did all that, right? At 13, 16, you had to be. Yeah. Oh, oh, for sure. I mean, it, it definitely went through my mind, and, and I finally got to a point where, you know, it, it was me, and asking those questions, why me, why me, I may never know the answer. So the fact of the matter is, it is me, it was me, what am I going to do about it? Amen, amen. But then the key is, as you get through that, it's about really living your life, not only intentionally, but living it outside this box thing that people have this box. And I bet, Sean... I bet you're a kind of guy. I don't know. You probably don't have a box in your life, do you? <laughs> um, I, I don't exactly have a comfort zone because I'm I'm always outside my comfort zone because I think that's where life really is. See, that's it. I don't. People say I hate that saying, like outside the box. You know what I mean? Like when people say that, I cringe. You know, I say, like, what does that really mean? Why do you carry a box around with you in life? That you got to think outside of it. Just don't have a box. Don't carry the box with you. Don't own the box. Don't even rent the box. Don't pay the box's mortgage. Don't have it, man. <laughs> And then you never have to worry about it because you're always outside of that thing. So you don't have to worry about it. All. Anyways, it's amazing how you've done that. But then now what happens and where you go and what you're doing with your life. I want to take it forward from there after the pause here from 16 and, and again, 14 days to live. Um, and let's see where Sean pulls down for more there. But then what really happens next on the journey, friends? Stay right there. We'll be back with the brink of greatness in just a moment. The goal is to deliver a message of truth, inspiration, and hope to the world to unite people from all backgrounds and beliefs in an effort to advance humanity. News blogs, informative podcasts, and entertaining videos. It's AmericaOutloud.com, where the conversation never ends. With 24-7 streaming on our free apps on both Android and Apple. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Music 
So we're at that point. You're at the uh, again, uh, 16 years old. Uh, you, they say you have 14 days to live. How do you? What happens at that point? Bring us forward. You already went through this the first time. Uh, your your mom again says it's a cancer. Yes, it's cancer. This time it's even more serious. I mean, not that the first time wasn't, but this is like a real problem now. What happens? How do you put it into overdrive? What does your mind tell you? Where do you go? How do you get over this thing? You know, I, I don't think it was one big epiphany. I don't think it was one thing that happened. I honestly think it was a bunch of micro changes that I made throughout the day. You know, as I said earlier, I think we're human beings are, are a product of repetition. And I chose to see things in a positive way. I chose to do something every day. And with the uh, with the idea also, this, this is great, the idea that consistency is more important than intensity. You know, I wanted to be consistent on my thoughts. I wanted to be consistent on uh, you know, what I was doing each day, eating healthy, making conscious choices, not just going with the flow and hoping everything's going to be okay. Um, yes, I, I do believe in the power of the mindset, but I do not believe in what, what, I, what I've dubbed the uh, – uh, the magic feather syndrome. You know, Dumbo holds onto the magic feather and he hopes to fly, and all of a sudden he does. You know, you have to put the the work into it, and you have to change who you are now to be who you want to become. And that's what I did. I started at 16 years old, and I started changing little things throughout the day to make big changes in the future. But what did the doctor say saved you at that point? How do you go from 14 days and you you won't be here? To saving yourself. I mean, so I hear you all the changes and the incremental changes and things that happen, but what happened that saved you? You know, I, this, this is a great question. I'm glad you asked it because it's making me think. Well, I, I went through three months of chemo. I went through one month of radiation therapy. Then I went through 10 more months of chemotherapy. And every time I was in the hospital for a chemotherapy treatment, uh, my cycle would be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the hospital. I'd be released to have my blood cell count get higher, and then I'd go back in Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That would be one cycle. And every time I was in the hospital, the doctors actually put me in a medically induced coma. And to be honest with you, aside from that one month of radiation therapy where I was lucid, I don't remember being 16 years old. So it's it's difficult to look back at it and see what what the actual factors were. You know, say C is is survival. I don't I don't know what A plus B actually put together i don't know what those factors were to help me get to see but i'm sure it was like i said earlier my my family support my my friends um modern medicine prayer and just that inner will to never give up i think it's a the dog inside of me that was really fighting for my life so even though though the doctors gave you 14 days uh, obviously you never gave up on yourself obviously your mom never gave up on you but the doctors didn't either or sometimes i ask that because sometimes they do sometimes they don't because they think it's inevitable. They, the doctor that I had, Dr. Davis, did not. But they, like I said, they wanted to put me in hospice and they wanted to give up on me. But I think it also goes back to the analogy of whether you think it's possible or not, you're absolutely right. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're absolutely right. So I think one of the, one of the biggest mindsets that I had, one of the biggest, the key, the, one of the key factors that I had was I was not focused on not dying. I was focused on living. Wow, that's that's so cool, man. This was about what year the second time? It was about 2000? Uh, actually, 91, oh, I think, 91, 92. Was it that early? Okay, gotcha. All right. and Because I, I, I look at your timeline here of things, and I didn't realize it was that much earlier. Okay, cool. Um, so from there then, so you get through that chapter. And so now you're, what, 16, 17? I assume 17, I guess? or. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I, I was 17, then 18. I was um, 
uh, in full remission. And then I decided to go to college and turn into Belushi from Animal House to relive my high school years. Did you ever get panicked to think that it would happen again or could happen? Did did it ever enter your mind? If if I told you that I never thought about it, I would be lying. Um, Even now, I go in once a year for a checkup, just my annual checkup, and it's it still bothers me. And I tell my friends, look, I'm going to be a, a different person or I'm going to be a recluse for a couple of days until I get my results back. And even deep inside, I know I'm going to be okay. You know, I've been in remission now for over 25 years. And like you said earlier, they gave me 14 days to live. So I'm, I'm way out of it. But at, at, at that at the time when I was younger, I went in every year, every actually started off every every month, then every three months, then every six months, and then every year. And every time I went in, you know, they drew the blood, they did the the CAT scan, they did whatever tests they had to do. Of of course, I was scared. But again, it wasn't what I was focused on. I didn't let it eat up my psyche. I didn't let it eat up my thoughts. I didn't let it eat up my 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 mind, because I always had a choice on what I wanted to focus on. Let's talk about the point of impact now, which um, you've had a couple of points of impact here, clearly. But now you're at this age where you've, you're in the college point. You've come through this major point of impact of surviving the second cancer. Uh, what I'm wondering is, uh, and that was really kind of the absurd moment for you to get it the second time and be as serious as it was and get 14 days and be able to get through all that, make the adjustments in life. Um, how do you take it from that standpoint right there and then start to live this new life? Because you created a whole other dimension. And talk about the first thing you were going to do. Was it, I mean, was it Mountain Kilimanjaro or was it, what, or what was it? What Everest. Was the, yeah. the first one? It, it was Everest. I, I decided I wanted to scream from the rooftops of the world, hope. So Mount Everest was the first mountain you did? <laughs> he's he sound just like my parents i remember my dad um specifically saying we didn't get you through two cancers to go kill yourself on a hunk of rock and ice i was like that's what your dad guys. said <laughs> oh man i could yeah. see dad saying that man yeah. oh wow so like, so sean so sean's box there is no box it's twenty seven thousand feet high that's his box but he does mount everest. everest kevin mount everest i mean yes, he doesn't he doesn't pick a hill in the neighborhood you know what i mean come on you know that's right. Let's go to the big hill, right? We'll do the exactly. big hill. So tell us about that. Uh, now, bring. I got to. I just I tell you what. I, I don't want to say nothing for the next few minutes. I want listeners to hear what that was like. What tell us what the preparation was like. What bring us to Mount Everest, please. <laughs> well, it, it, for a lot, for people who don't know, it's it's uh, twenty nine thousand thirty five feet high. So it's it's the highest mountain in the world. And next time you hop in a, a pressurized tin can with wings and you hear the pilot come over the announcement system and say, you know, we've, we've reached our cruising altitude of 29,000 feet. Uh, look out the window and up 35 more feet. I mean, Everest is at an altitude where jumbo jets level off and fly. You know, just just let let that sink in for a second. And I'm actually attempting to do this with half my lung capacity. So I'm attempting to do it with one lung, which I was told is physiologically impossible. But I, I was studying back backtrack a little bit. I was studying for my master's and my doctorate. Uh, I was going to be a psychologist for cancer patients when I took a, a look back at my life. And realized that I hadn't dealt with the issues that I had myself. I didn't really look at what cancer meant for me, but I did know that life was too precious and short. And I, I literally wanted to to give people something I never had, which is hope, because I, I think the human body can live for roughly 30 days without food. 
the human condition can sustain itself for about three days without water, but no human alive can live for more than 30 seconds without hope. And I wanted to use Mount Everest as a basically a 29,000-foot platform to scream hope and give something back to the cancer community. Yeah. I wrote that in the piece I wrote about you back in 2016. I wrote that in there. The human condition can sustain itself mm-hmm. for roughly three days without water, but no human alive can live for more than 30 seconds without hope. Exactly. And it's absolutely true because once you lose hope, you lose everything. And I wanted to use Everest as a literal platform to give back to the cancer community and now others to show them that if you believe in something and if you can see yourself doing it and you put in the time, the effort, you can make anything happen. You know, it's it's along the analogy of it, it, it always seems impossible until it's done. Right, right. Sure. Well, this was impossible, uh, obviously, but you made it possible. <laughs> so with Mount Everest, uh, what's the what's the training like prior to get? I mean, you've got one lung now. You had the heart deal. You had the cancer twice. And now you're going to climb Mount Everest. OK, you might as well just taken a uh, uh, you might as well taken a spaceship and tried Mars. Maybe maybe that would have worked. <laughs> right. I know Elon Musk was looking for some characters. <laughs> yeah, except that's a one way trip. I, exactly. I wanna... Exactly. You're no fool. You're no fool. Right, buddy. Exactly. <laughs> I'm no fool. I ain't doing that. I know I get a kick out of that with these people, Elon. And that. yeah, well, I'll jump on a spaceship and we'll go on a journey of life. Yeah. Journey of death. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> so let's be, let's be positive now. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. How long? How how long yeah, is tri- <laughs> I love it. I yeah, love I'm, it. I'm positive it's a one-way trip. <laughs> <laughs> I got, you're just killing me here. I love it. Uh, so how how long does the training go to Mount Everest? What ha- I mean, how long do you train for that? And how do you train for that? Well, normally people train for years to make it happen. I moved from Jacksonville, Florida, out here where I live now, to Colorado. I lived in Estes Park, Colorado. And there's a mountain here called Long's Peak, which is 14,256 feet. And I would go and do that once a week with 100 pounds of rocks in my backpack. Oh, my dear. You're just a glutton for punishment, brother. You know, I, I've, done, <laughs> I've also done the Hawaii Ironman triathlon. And, and with that, I've also done another uh, a number of marathons and other things. And I take a group up Kilimanjaro every year as a fundraiser for the Cancer Climber Association. And I train so hard that I'm actually thankful the actual event comes around so I can stop training. So the mental clarity you get from something like this is probably unbelievable in the stratosphere, isn't it? You see things from a completely different perspective. And and one thing when I come back from these trips that boggles my mind is I don't understand why there are so many people who are concerned about more concerned about what others think of them than what they think of themselves. Oh, golly, is that not true? Wow, man. There's a lot of people in that position, my friend. The world's full of them, sadly. But we're trying to get through to them to get them to understand it doesn't matter what other people think about you. (laughs) It doesn't matter at all, man, you know? Um, I don't know. I I don't know why that is. I think people just tend to fall short in their own minds. Our our minds are, they do a lot of damage to people, Sean. You know that, you know? Definitely. And and here's the thing, too, for, for everybody listening, Who's the person you speak to most throughout the day? It's not your significant other. It's not your mom. It's not your dad. It's yourself. You know, if you just pay attention to that internal dialogue and realize that most of the time, the majority of that is negative. Why would you be friends with someone who's that negative to you? You wouldn't. 
So why would you do it to yourself? If you pay attention to your conscious internal dialogue, you can catch those negative thoughts and you can turn it around into something positive. You can slowly, through micro changes, start changing your path in life into something more positive. Wow. Now, here's the, here's the challenge. What you just say there hits me straight on, head on. And here's the thing. Here I look at myself as an optimist, Mr. Positive, doing this, doing that, you know, cool guy on campus, Sean, you know, doing all kinds of stuff here, right? All right. And yet you say what you just say there. Now you got my mind thinking double time on myself, by the way. <laughs> like, okay, where have I fallen short in that? Because you're so right. We spend more times with ourselves than we do anybody else, number right. one. You're so right. And we tell ourselves what we can and can't do, and we convince ourselves. And here's the other thing I say a lot, Sean, which I think you'll agree with potentially, is that we tell ourselves we worry about things that are never going to happen in our lives. We worry <laughs> about worrying. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and worrying is – it's like being in a rocking chair. It gives you something to, something to do to pass the time, but it doesn't, doesn't really get you anywhere. Yeah, no, that's so true. It's so true. So this is so vital, what you say there. But I just want people to think about what Sean says there about, you know, about what we tell ourselves. So, so Sean, if we're telling our, so whatever we tell ourselves internally, I mean, like, it doesn't, it's our mind, it doesn't even have to come out of our mouth. If we're thinking about it, it means that we're, our internal mouth is telling ourselves, right? I mean, we're hearing it in our ears, in our consciousness, Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's an internal dialogue. Yeah, well, sure. We have it all day long. I have I have it all day long with myself. I mean, come on, people. I mean, this is what you do. <laughs> and I mean, really, though, people say you're talking to yourself. Well, of course I'm talking to myself. What the hell do you think I'm talking to? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as, as long as you don't have a number of voices in your head, I think you're all right. Yeah, and I don't have that Sybil problem. You know, the Sybil <laughs> per- Yeah, that's not the problem exactly. I could give you a whole list of other problems, but I'll tell you what. We'll do that right after the pause. We'll be back in just a moment here. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. I want to get back, if you'll allow me, I'd like to go back to Everest a moment because a couple of things I want to ask you about that, please, okay? that i, I got to go back there for myself and for listeners as well. Uh, when you're on Everest now and you're doing this thing, what was there a time on that climb where you thought you weren't going to make it? I, I, wow. I, I was, I'm trying to figure out a way to say how there wasn't a time. Um, you know, there there was a moment when, and I, I kind of described it in, in my, uh, my Everest Being Unstoppable book, where I'm literally on the side of the Lhotse ice face, which is a sheet of ice that's at a 45 degree angle and it goes on for a mile. Uh, beautiful view. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, but you kind of have to chop down and out to plop your tent. 
And there was a night I remember going to bed after eating some uh, some beef stew, dehydrated beef stew, you know, with the, with the little beef chunks, the square uh, uh, square um, what's the word? I'm can't think of it. The orange vegetable carrots. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. Carrots, <laughs> there yeah. we go. The the square carrots, uh, round peas, and spiral noodles. Mm-hmm. And I, I ate that for dinner, like I said. And I, I went to bed, and maybe ten ten hours later, woke up and I vomited. Because my brain was swelling and nothing was digested, I could still see those little square, uh, cubed carrots, wow. the round peas, and the spiral noodles, and the and the beef chunks. And my stomach didn't digest anything, and I knew at that moment because I couldn't even put on my boots. I couldn't walk a straight line. I couldn't even function. Uh, my brain was suffering from what's called high altitude cerebral edema or haste, mm-hmm. uh, which is altitude induced swelling of the brain. And as we know, it's encased in a a, a skull. So eventually what happens is normally the your brain swells, you go unconscious, you pass out, you die. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I stayed there on oxygen, and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because as we were going out for the summit push, we were supposed to be leaving Camp 3 to go up to Camp 4, and then from Camp 4 is when you go up for the summit push. Um, everybody who was on the same schedule as us from other expeditions left Camp 3, went to Camp 4, left Camp 4, the weather turned bad, they had to turn around, and they lost their window of opportunity to climb and summit the highest mountain in the world. I came down with altitude-induced swelling of the brain, had an oxygen mask on, I slept through the night on oxygen, stayed there, didn't move for 24 hours, and I just laid there on oxygen. The next day, we went up there, Camp 4, summited the next morning, and there were no problems. There was a slight breeze at the top, and I, I honestly, I think that I have a a fleet of guardian angels working on overtime, and I just pray to God they never go on vacation. Amen to that, buddy. Yeah, you must have, because uh, what you just described there is another near-death experience. For for sure. And and kind of joking, I, I think about the angels, and like, you take them today. No, no, you take them. No, I'm done with this guy. <laughs> yeah, right. This guy's hazardous to his health or something, man. All right, so, I mean, you really think about it, you, you know, after the cancer things, and now, like your dad said, are you crazy? I mean, what are you doing here, man? And you're on Everest here. Right? So when you get up there, what happens when you're at the, you get to where you need to get, you get to the peak? Yeah, is that correct? Exactly. Yeah, the, the 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 very top of Mount Everest is I'm, I'm putting my hands out in front of me, maybe two feet, like a two foot circle. Okay. So it's it's incredibly small. But the first thing I did when I got up there, I, I collapsed to my knees and I took out a flag that I had in my chest pocket because it was close to my heart as a reminder of why I was on the mountain. And I unraveled this flag, and on the flag were names of people touched by cancer, hundreds and hundreds of people touched by cancer, which is my motivation, my inspiration, because if they're battling through what they're going through, I can tolerate the elements. And I want to inspire those people because they inspire me in return. Yeah, I've read that. I read you did that with the flag and all. So it had to be unbelievable. I mean, you're at the top of the world now. I mean, literally, and the top of the journey, and you're looking out there. What came to your mind what was the thought that was in your mind buddy was it like what (laughs) kind of of jokingly i was i was looking around and i i had this thought of holy crap i have to go back down right could you get a helicopter to pick you up maybe or (laughs) so (laughs) i'm only i'm only halfway so i have to get back down but i i I think i i was a blubbering little fool i mean i i was a, a I was like a, a baby crying. I was I was so emotionally overtaken by my emotions. 
and it was almost like I, I had every emotion that you could possibly imagine and exploded them all at once because I, I just made history. I was, I was the first cancer survivor to ever set foot on top of the world, but all of those people were with me. So I read, I read some of the names off, and I, I understood at that moment that cancer is not a death sentence. It's a word. Again, it's a word, not a sentence, but it's also a family disease. It's not an individual disease. And I thought of all the people who are caretakers, all the people who have gone through this disease with someone. And it's, it's a global epidemic now, and I, I was just overtaken by these emotions of people who are fighting for their lives. And it was just – it was unbelievable. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, I can feel it. I mean, I can feel it and I can feel you up there. And I just, I want to experience that with you in this moment to have listeners experience that with you. You know, you're at the top of this thing after everything you've been through and approximately how old are you at that point, by the way? 27. 27 years old. There you are. I mean, 27. Think about that, people, you know. Everything you've been through in life, now you're 27, you're there. So now you go from there. Let's let's move it because you've got, you're doing so much now. But now, so you've climbed like, tell me about the peaks and you go, is there, do I understand if I read and correct me on this because I'm not, do you have one more to climb somewhere? Is that correct or am I wrong? I, I, I do not. That's what uh, True North is about. I actually completed what's called the Explorer's Grand Slam, which in person, I think it sounds like a Denny's breakfast platter, but I didn't, I didn't name it. Um, it's, it's the highest mountain on every continent, which is called the Seven Summits, and then skiing to both the North and South Poles. I, and I made it to the South, or I made it to the North Pole in uh, May, April of 2017. That's the one I knew you hadn't done yet when I wrote about you. That's the one right there. But you've done that since then. Exactly. And that's what True North covers. It, it covers that expedition. And like I said, the, the workshop somehow made 80 below look tolerable. But, it, you know, in, in that same breath, it, 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 it was beautiful. It was 80 below, 90% humidity. We could hear the cracking of the ice below us so that sometimes it, it broke open. We had a polar bear um, on the same route following us. We saw Arctic fox tracks. We slept with rifles. I mean, it was just it was a mess, but it was a, one crazy adventure. Wow. Now... You've, been, you've done Mount Kilimanjaro how many times? 13, 14 times or something? One more than that, 15 times. 15 times. 15, I mean, not just once, people, but 15 times he climbs <laughs> that. Just a little hill, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, 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 but he brings people with him now, right? On your expeditions, that's kind of like your favorite. Yeah, tell us about it, that. Exactly. I, I take a group over every year as a fundraiser for the Cancer Climber Association. And uh, it, we also pay for a cancer survivor's trip every year. And, and if we raise more money, we'll take two survivors. If we raise more money than that, we'll take three, four, five, however many people we can afford to take. Um, but as, as you mentioned, you know, I have been over 15 times and something kind of funny is I was adopted into the Chugga tribe, which is a native tribe that's... Um, yeah. Uh, located around the area of Kilimanjaro, and they gave me a uh, Swahili name, which is Mzungu Kicha, which literally translates into crazy white man. <laughs> this we oh, understand. <laughs> this we understand. <laughs> I, I know about the tribe. I know I know that tribe is there, and that's their area there, right? Um, yeah, that's very cool. And and, and they, they really took you in as, uh, I mean, they really bonded with you, didn't they? They they did, and I'm we're, we're like brothers. Um, it's 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 amazing. I I go over earlier than than the rest of the group, and we always go out and have a barbecue, and it, it, it's like one big family going up the mountain now. And and to to their credit, mm-hmm. in the relationship that we have, the the success rate on average is about forty eight percent. 
going up Kilimanjaro, the route that we go up. But we, my groups, are always hovering right around 98% because we do things differently. Oh, that's incredible. How many do you take up on one of these journeys? Anywhere between five, and I've taken 19, I, want, I think. 19 at once. That's a, that's a trip, huh? Oh, it's it's awesome. I, I absolutely love it because people get up there, they come down, they say it was one of the hardest things they've ever done, but it was also one of the most rewarding things that they've ever done. And they come back and they say that it, it absolutely changed their lives. Now, can I assume, I got to ask you this, can I assume, and I shouldn't assume anything, so forgive me for saying that, number one, but <laughs> can I, but I'm going to assume, I don't know why, but can I assume that Mount Everest was a one-time deal? Ooh. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I asked. I shouldn't even ask you that. Your your family will be livid at me. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm 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 praying my mom and my dad don't hear this because I I have I have well I have an idea that I want to go back and try to climb another eight thousand meter peak. So there are only fourteen mountains in the world that are eight thousand or twenty six thousand feet and and higher. It's called the death zone, and that's when people start using oxygen because the human body just literally cannot function. Uh, in that altitude, but I want to see if it's possible to climb one of the lower uh, 8,000 meter peaks without oxygen with one lung, just to see if it's possible to have the oxygen available. And if I can do that, then potentially going back to Everest and attempting it without oxygen and with my one lung. Yeah, yeah, but, but let's uh, let's let's not and say we did on that one. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, buddy, that's you, you're too. You got too much to do here, buddy. To be taken, as your dad would say, you can't. You know, I, I mean, I. I Anyways, I'll call your dad. We'll talk. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about a lot of the other things, but you know, there's a bit of a respect or sometimes, right? You're on a. Define, right. That that's yeah. that's about a thirty percent chance of, of of happening, and I don't think it. Yeah. No. I, I don't, I don't foresee it happening anytime no. in the near future because I think my uh, my next adventure is going to be marriage, and then after that, in 2020, I'm running seven. My goal is to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days. Yeah, you put all these feats in in front of you, like uh, like you want to. You just you have this motivation to want to not only do this these kinds of things, but you want to be the best at it, right, Sean? I mean, it's a drive, a mechanism in you. I, I think so, but you know, I, I, I like how you phrase that. I, I do want to be the best, but at the same time, mm-hmm. one thing that my parents instilled in me and one thing that I've, I've always been working on is they, they taught me I never had to be the best. I just had to be my best. Yeah. So by improving myself more than I was the day before and making myself a better person than I am today, tomorrow. And I think by doing that, constantly improving myself, mm-hmm. that's how I've, I've been able to break so many records and, and be who I am and, and be blessed to, to have these opportunities. Yeah, I, I had read also that your ultimate goal was a mobile camp for kids battling cancer. What is that all about? Absolutely. Um, I'm working on that right now, and we're looking for an executive director for Cancer Climber, if everyone, if anyone's interested. Uh, but it's a mobile camp for kids with cancer, and it's going to be 6,700 square feet, and it's going to be in the back of a semi-truck that tours around the country, and it's going to unfold in the Children's Hospital parking lot. And underneath this dome, there's going to be a high ropes course, a climbing wall, movie theater, classroom, game room, cafeteria, and a 2,000-square-foot turf area where the kids can set up camp for the weekend. And one of the ways we're going to be fundraising for that is through something called uh, a, a program I'm putting together. If people want to go to the next seven days.com, just the number seven, the next seven days.com. So we're going to be using that as a vehicle to build the vehicle. Oh, 
I mean, you, Kevin, he keeps coming up with these ideas and projects. I mean, you got your head's got to be spinning, number one. I mean, listeners got to say, what? It's like it, it, one guy can't be doing all this, you think, right? I mean, but you are. Well, he, he said he needs an executive director. Are you going to apply, or should I? Uh, well, Malcolm, you, 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 and him are, you and him are twins, so you might as well. So i got to ask you, too. Back in 01, Kevin, it looks like he, uh, you co-founded. Well, this is what you were talking about, how you raise a lot of the money, the Cancer Climber Association, right? Well, my brother and I co-founded it. As um, Initially, the idea and the thought for Cancer Climber was to fund cancer research, but there are so many other organizations out there doing that. Then we wanted to do something here, something now, something to make a difference in the people's lives as opposed to waiting for the money to get down the pipeline and, and, and help with, with research. So that's why we're taking cancer survivors up Kilimanjaro. And we, we pay for the trip, completely funded. We just ask that they share their survivorship story with patients that they can go visit in hospitals as well. So it's kind of paying it forward. Whatever money we raised this – whatever we raised – this past year goes to support a cancer survivor's trip next year. And then we keep paying it forward until we can hopefully take six to 10 survivors every year. And we're also putting together a trip to Everest Base Camp in October next year along the same lines and, and with that same, uh, uh, same template of mm-hmm. helping people and, and showing them what's possible because then they start believing in themselves and it starts to spread like wildfire. It's, it's like this energy when you're with someone and you, you, you get nervous, the other person gets nervous, or if you get happy, the other person gets happy. But if you're full of hope, you're going to do the same thing. You're going to walk into a room and, and light up the room and change people's lives. I love it. So, so is the cancer, is the survivors, are they young, like young kids, teenagers like yourself when you went through cancer or is it any age or? How does that work? Any age. This year we had uh, a guy named Jay Michael. He's from Houston, and he just graduated college. And then we've also had some people who are survivors who were up in their 50s. You know, Sean, in this world that we live in right now, and, and Kevin knows full well because he and I talk about it, but, you know, with all the... The, the hatred out there and the vitriol and the negative. And, I, and I'm not a, I don't do the negative thing. I hate negative energy. I prefer to hang with positive people. I, I, and I, everybody, I want to encourage you to do that. Look around and look at the seven people you hang with or you talk to on a daily basis, including yourself, and make sure they're all positive, you know. If not, you're going to become a product of that is the problem. So you want to you want to make some adjustments in your life. So many people out there uh, don't realize that they have they have it within themselves to change their lives. And I, I encourage people to to picture themselves in the future with with everything that they have. You know, their life's perfect, their relationships, whatever that looks like, um, their money, whatever that looks like, the car, house, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you can't change anything outside of you, what qualities within yourself are different in that person in the future? You know, I think that's like the million dollar question that I ask myself every morning I wake up too. Is it, are you, are you more confident? You know, are you more humble? Are you, you know, whatever those values are, what is different in you to make that happen? And I think that's where it started when I was back at 13 and 16 years old, looking at how I wanted to live my life and what was different. Yes, the cancer was gone, but I was also more confident. I was also stronger. So if people can look at themselves and start in the start with the man in the mirror to quote Michael Jackson I suppose yeah, yeah. start with the man in the mirror and ask yourselves if you could wake up tomorrow and see and have everything that you want to be perfect 
what changed in you to make that happen? I think people need to realize that's where the change begins and that's where it should happen. And Sean, remember that uh, you're right. Everything you say there is spot on, but it, it really is this drive and this mechanism in all of us to do exactly that and to reach higher. The world is full of incredible stories and the world is full of, uh, there's some really cool stories out there and people, and I, I think Sean on the planet, I always say there are a lot of people doing amazing things. You just don't catch it on the six o'clock news. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. And we need to showcase that here. That's what the brink of greatness is all about. It's to really, I love this because it's all about the, the best of humanity and it's, and, and it is about reaching h- higher. You're so right in the things we can do. And you know, one other thing, Sean, everything you just laid out there was perfect within that. And I want to remind, it's sort of like Zig Ziglar when he says, be, do, have. Mm-hmm. You've got to be, do, have. So if you're going to get there, you've got, you've got to be today who you're going to be down the road as well. You always got to be true to yourself, right? Exactly. Be who you are. Keep those values close to your heart and don't don't stray from them just because somebody else wants you to. Pay attention to those other seven people that you – well, potentially other six people, yourself included, those seven people <clears throat> excuse me, that you, that you talk to throughout the day and pay attention to what you're doing consciously, not just float through life. Absolutely, yeah. Well, listen, friends, we'll put all the contact points and websites and links and things and, and on the post. It'll be on thebrinkofgreatness.com, but it will also be – on AmericaOutloud.com. Now, remember, this show always plays Saturday and Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can hear it anywhere in the world. Uh, clearly, you can go to, you can hear it on iHeartRadio, or you can hear it on our apps on Android or Apple or a media player. Or a, there's about 50 networks you can catch us on. Then it goes to podcast, and you can catch it on Mondays. Every Monday, we have the the show, the Play of the Weekend, goes to podcast. You can catch it there. Uh, Sean's books and all of his things. We'll make sure they're all in the books stored America Out Loud and they'll all connect to Amazon and easy click through so you can get his books and read the stories and really become more familiar with everything you're doing Sean Swarner thank you brother God bless you amen and I look forward to whatever is ahead in this journey buddy and thank you for spending this hour with us okay are you, you kidding me it's an honor thank you so much for the opportunity yeah it's uh, it's amazing kevin this is uh, certainly it's a story that touches me in a profound way uh, for a lot of reasons it, and i just so i appreciate everything about this and what sean is doing in the world and and friends just pull something from this please replay the tape back when it's on podcast and just listen back to this make notes take a pad and pen up make some notes do it for you do it for you nobody else do it just get quiet in a room just yourself just you in this message listen back make some notes to yourself and do it for you always do it for you friends it's all about you remember the brink of greatness can only happen when you're willing to push beyond the boundaries and limitations that are holding you back what's holding you back friends remember to take the next leap forward Thank you.